0: Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole.
1: On this episode of the Active CEO podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with a CEO that is always on the move, ensuring that customers are placed first and the passenger experience is the highest quality. As a leader, his charismatic but humble approach suits being at the heart of a world-class transport service that caters for over 4 million passengers per year. Taking the helm of Skybus in 2014, the company services airport passengers across Australia and New Zealand in Melbourne, Gold Coast, Auckland and Hobart at no cost to the taxpayer. His efficient nature shines through in his ability to manage multiple site locations, volunteering at various sport organisations, supporting charities, spending time with his family and finding time to ride his bike. Known for his generosity and caring nature, he spends a lot of time with his wife supporting and making a difference with those less fortunate, such as starving children and women dealing with breast cancer. Ben and I are thrilled to introduce and welcome you to our very special guest, Michael Sewards Michael, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you. Glad to be here.
1: It's uh, it's nice to be here in Melbourne and I know I've been on the Skybus a few times. It's uh, always very efficient and it's a, it's a great experience coming from the airport into the city. Yeah. So well done to your team on making, I suppose, my first experience into Melbourne a, a great start every time.
2: Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, it's, um, it is only a bus, but uh, we try to make it as interesting and exciting as possible because it is the first thing you see when you arrive in Melbourne either at Avalon or, or Tullamarine and, and other airports are in um, and you know the reality is is that people are, are thrilled, excited, nervous, anxious There's energy happening when they're coming to or from the airport They've got a story to tell or or, or they've got some expectations. So certainly for us, we're running a, a, a transit service um, and most people think of their typical transit services, getting them to or from work or school, and we try to just sort of elevate that experience, if you like.
1: That's great. And so before we sort of elevate into the experience and delve into it a bit more, let's go back to a time when you were a child. Um, did you ever dream of, <laughs> about sitting in the bus driver's seat <laughs> and taking people for a ride?
2: No, I don't think so. I think my, I've said to my kids many times, I had a lot of choices. I could have been a professional soccer player or an actor or this or that, but I chose buses. Um, and, um, you yeah, know, it's been, it's been a great journey and certainly one of those, one of those probably atypical journeys where um, nothing has been really mapped out but we're certainly just sort of, I've just tried to follow the things that interest me, excite me and, and there's been some bumps along the way but it's, uh, it's been a great experience and we've ended up um, in a bus company and, um, and certainly uh, back as a kid. Um, no, I could never ever imagine if I had to speak to the, myself at the age of 15 or, or whatever that you'd be involved in a bus company.
1: So what were your plans at that point? You know, what did you dream of being when you were a young kid?
2: Oh, as a kid, my, my number one, two and three dreams was to play soccer and uh, and to be a professional professional at, uh, soccer player. And I, I, I actually uh, stupidly or naively got on a plane when I was 16 and... Went overseas to England and uh, and tried out for a team, Queens Park Rangers. And as I've said to my kids, the only thing that stopped me from prospering with that dream was uh, was a lack of talent, mm. and uh, <laughs> that was that was my great obstacle. Apart from that, I had a lot of energy and a lot of desire, but uh, uh, they they worked out pretty quickly. I didn't have the talent, so I got back literally the day before v, uh, VCE, it was called HSE back then. Uh, the day before that started, and um, and uh, I quickly realised those dreams had dissipated, and I better get on and get make sure I got the best result I could, and and uh, and get on to uni.
1: Well, that, that pathway's been pretty good.
2: Yeah, yeah, it has. Although, you know, it's my passion, and and, and certainly, um, you know, I'm a mad, mad, crazy um, football fan, and, and 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 all of that. But um, yeah, it was a, it was probably a, a really good thing to sort of exhaust that very quickly at that age, just before year 12, and um, and work out that um, I better make sure I can uh, get some other skills.
3: So, although you might not have had that talent, Mike, um, what were some of the characteristics that you might have learned from that experience that have sort of taken you forward?
2: Well, I think the most, the most telling thing for me was um, that at that particular time, and maybe it's the same today, but um, it was a really stark, um, dramatic way of, of, of determining um, success and failure. I mean, there was no there was no participation awards back then. You know, it was it was you're either good enough or you're not, son, and and that's pretty much how they spoke to you back then. And they had it was an old-fashioned apprenticeship system where um, you you were selected or not. And what I learned pretty quickly was um, you know the power of um, of being direct, I guess, and and determining a path and 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 certainly also working out. There is some value in, in sometimes being told bad news early and that's what happened to me. And um, and the learning for me really was that, um, you know, I, I'd gone over there with a lot of desire and and hunger but I probably hadn't prepared um, enough and I hadn't thought about the environment I was heading into. I was very much naive, I was from Australia. I'd literally got in a plane at the age of 16. I'd saved up with a couple of part-time jobs and. And all of that, but I hadn't really put a lot of thought into what the people on the other side were, were expecting to see. So, yeah, good, quick lesson in life um, in that respect. Um, and I cracked on and, and, uh, and obviously put my head down and bum up in terms of school.
3: Yeah. And You said you had a few part-time jobs to help fund your way. So obviously you've uh, had a work ethic from very young years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm sort of quite passionate about that with my kids as well. I'm sure many people are that um, it's the best the best way to both time to, to learn the value of time management. That's one of the key things. Um, and I I was at, at in school and I was there in uni and I had like three jobs and I was in uni and I had a couple of jobs and obviously when you're having to sort of you know make sure you can fund your way through things, that's what you have to do and. Um, as somebody once told me there's 168 hours or whatever there is in a, in a week and so there's plenty of things you can fill it with and yeah i loved it i loved working and i loved having other jobs and other social groups and and other experiences and um and it sort of uh, helped me in good stead
1: so let's fast forward you now here to you know your role as ceo yep um, can you can you recall what it was like in for that first 100 days going into that role of ceo
2: yeah, we had, uh, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I remember my chairman, who was great, he's a really good mentor, and he said, because um, I'd come from a, ro- a life where I was an advisor and I was helping people, and then suddenly I was given, effectively, the the, the the keys, if you like, to to implement the various strategies that I've been developing over many years. And he said to, to me and to my um, co-CEO, he said, uh, right, you need about a hundred days to put your feet under the table and um, I think he was a bit ambitious because it probably took a bit longer than that for us. Um, but certainly for me, um, made a lot of mistakes and um, we we went on a path of, of, of taking on a business that had been doing effectively the same thing for 36 years and what we um, underestimated was the strength of the culture. Um, and there were a lot of things we wanted to implement very quickly and we probably in hindsight did them too quickly. Um, that being said a lot of the things we implemented then that was quite painful have, have held us in good stead um, today but the first 100 days for us um, probably should have been a bit more of listening and learning as opposed to trying to do things um, quickly. But anyway um, the reality was is that um, we were lucky enough to have a good core group of people who saw saw what we wanted to do and saw the vision and, and, and saw the energy we were bringing and, um, and they've, um, they're still there today.
3: So you talk about a co-CEO, could you
2: explain that? Yeah, my, I've, I've, I've um, had a 20-odd year um, partnership with Adam um, in a previous business. Um, it's a really unique relationship. Um, some people say that we we're you know almost married because we speak to each other that often. Um, it's it is ridiculous. Um, it, it's a really interesting relationship where we um, are incredibly direct with each other. We we reinforce and we challenge and we argue. And if and if you've ever sat in a meeting with myself and Adam and, and in our previous life as advisors to our current life working um, as co CEOs, you'd think we're actually in disagreement, but we're not. We're we're very very strong on verbalising and um, and challenging, and we, we have a saying called "park the ego at the door," and 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 it, you know all, all ideas are good ideas, and and that's how we've worked, and we're very dynamic the way we work. But it's also for a new person walking in, it can be a bit confronting. Um, yeah, and we we're good friends outside of work as well. Um, we're different. We're in very different, many many ways, but. Um, yeah, we both um, share r- ridiculously similar visions on things.
1: It's good to have that diversity in, I suppose, your, your ways of thinking, but have that really clear vision. Yeah, yeah
2: I, 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 really, I actually really feel sorry for, not feel sorry, it's a wrong way of describing it, but I think it would be incredibly difficult to be a person coming into an organization such as a Skybus Business, where a family run it for 36 years And somebody said, well, you're now the new CEO and you're taking over um, and not have the person that I've had, which is Adam, to to sit there and, you know, sometimes you're doubting yourself. You need to talk to somebody else. You need to talk about your concerns and your worries, but also, you know, celebrate the successes. And and I'm so lucky I can do that. Um, And obviously you have your partners in life you can do that with, but from within a work context, um, I... I'm very, very sure that what we've achieved in the last four years would never been achieved unless we had each other to do that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So the the work of Skybus has has a far greater purpose than just commuting people from one destination to the next. It's it feels like you're you're proud to showcase and love the passenger's destination, and that you want to make sure that their first impressions are absolutely truly amazing.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And it's certainly we um we have an objective um that every day we try our best to both communicate and practically demonstrate um to our team members that the, the people on our bus are, are some people are going through perhaps the first time they've ever gotten a plane um, some people maybe the fifth time they've been this week um, but whatever it is there there is some memory or experience and from the smallest aspect of helping them with their luggage or, or asking them two key questions. Um, where have you been or where are you going? Um, and, and for us, it's sort of um, finding a way, I, I guess, of sharing the energy that people have, and sometimes it's negative energy because they're, they're stressed or they're concerned, or the positive energy of, of excitement. And actually, um, from a worker's point of view or an employee point of view, it just means you're having a better day. Um, driving a bus is, is actually a really incredibly difficult job. Um, I don't drive a bus, Adam does. Um, I work at the curb and scan tickets, but I can see as I'm talking to the team members that you're, you know, you're going up and down a highway a lot. You know. We're doing four to 500 trips a day. And it can be quite um, um, repetitive and obviously what we are trying to do is say to people that what you are doing is incredibly important. Um, the safety of the passengers is obviously paramount, number one. And then number two, from our point of view, um, making sure that person has arrived or has come back from the airport in a better shape um, uh, or as excited as they were when they got on the bus um, is really, really important. And, and certainly for us, we've, before we started to expand Skybus and before we, 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 we left beyond the, the shores of Melbourne, I guess, we had a sense of understanding or belief that people liked the business, and they liked the brand. We'd seen that by measuring our, our customer intercept surveys and people come back and they're repeating their usage, but we were never really tested ourselves. Um, and as we then branched out into other ports such as Auckland, Hobart and Gold Coast, we've, we've really seen um, in real fashion the, that brand equity and people flying in from Melbourne saying, oh, Skybus is here. And that has been, from a from a team point of view and a group point of view, one of the most heartening things, you know, having people in Melbourne say, oh, "I had a friend of mine who went to Gold Coast and they caught a sky bus." Um, they're the sort of stories we like to to generate internally, and we also, you know, like sharing them and celebrating them.
3: Yeah, yeah so, that's amazing. Can, can I just go back on one point there that you were talking about, Michael? You said Adam uh, drove the bus, and yes. you were on the on the ticket side of it. Um, so that. That's saying that the CEOs are getting involved on the coalface to, to really understand the business?
2: Yeah, it's the only way. Um, I certainly, Adam drives a bus far more than I stand on the kerb, um, but he, and he does it a lot. Um, it, it is incredible and he will, I literally got a text from half an hour ago saying bus 112, air conditioning is too cold. Um, What's going on, and, and he knows that because he just drove the bus, right? Yeah. So, so wow. I don't know, sometimes it probably drives a few people crazy internally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, is
3: it a secret to your success? You think?
2: I, I think the I think there's a lot of different secrets we have. Um, I think that the secret to our success is, is most definitely our people. Um, and 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 when a lot of people say that, I know, but the reality is, is that we have a bus that is is heralded as the cleanest, best-presented bus in in, in Australia and and probably internationally. And that's people's people working at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, cleaning a bus, um, detailing a bus. So every aspect of what we do is about the people and the passion they bring. But um, certainly from my point of view, when you're at the curb and you're scanning a ticket, the first thing I, I get very quickly is the types of passengers and the feelings of passengers and the stress of passengers. So a lot of the time as you're heading to the airport, it's an anxious time. You think you're going to miss your plane sometimes or the plane's running late or whatever. Um, and you don't, you know, people can tell you about that, but until you're at the curb and you've got 100 people staring at you saying, where is that bus? Um, and you, you, first of all, the first thing you understand is, what well, I understand is, is that the people who are doing that job every day, not just me turning up and you know, playing, you know, doing the CAO thing, um, is that that's a really hard job. And they are having to manage the people on the curve, they're managing the expectations, and also the bus turning up and communicating. So suddenly you've got real empathy because you've done the role and you've seen it and you've worked in that environment. But then secondly, you're also taking the passenger side and you're understanding what the passengers' expectations are. So it's, you know, it's easy, it's free for me just to turn up on the curve and add them to drive a bus, so why not do it? Yeah, so um, took...
1: Talk- so you talk about some of the stresses there that your your bus drivers and your staff are going through, and and you're also trying to manage your passenger stress. So do you do quite a lot of training um, around that fact to ensure that the staff are able to handle those stresses, um, able to unload those stresses at the end of a day or a week or a month? Are, are you constantly assessing where the mental states at?
2: Yeah, I think it's a constant it, it's a constant process because we're running a twenty four seven service. Um, and, you know, 12,000 trips a month and you multiply all that out across our services and we have a lot of different points of stress, so to speak. The most important thing our team members need to know is that somebody's there to help. Yeah. Um, and the, a lot of the occasions they can be stranded because it could be at Qantas Terminal at Melbourne and it could be at 11pm at night and they're by themselves. And um, we've had some horrible incidents where bad things have happened where people have, you know, been intoxicated or whatever else. The number one thing a team need to know is that we're there to support, and then support's real support. It's not just tokenism of, you know, sending an email or whatever. It's actually turning up at the curb um, and saying, right, you know, how are you going? Not feeling great? Right, I'll step in. And so what um, we've developed, um, and the operations team in particular have developed, is what we, we call an exec um, roster. And so when, when we know there are certain pinch points in our business, but, but by that I mean that we know there's going to be a degree of stress, because an event or something that's happening in Melbourne or a certain time of year um, we we deploy our, our management level we get them out of the depot and we put a two-week roster in and say right here's the slots we want all of you people at the curb and for four hours minimum sitting there in your red jackets and supporting the team they need to see and, and know that you're available so that's really important because It's almost, you're both anticipating the stress, but you're also um, looking to adequately um, help them be better prepared for that stress as well. And there's also real enjoyment that comes with that because um, uh, literally as as late as Saturday, um, one of our senior ops people was on the curb, we introduced a new roster. Suddenly he had four people telling him, because he was working there or on a Saturday, taking time out of his Saturday to work there. Suddenly on Monday morning this morning, he's telling us what the problems were, the roster, yeah. that you just don't get in, a, in, in, in large companies where you're relying on email and you're relying on people who have to send emails and letters. Mm.
1: So can you tell us a bit about your expansion strategy? You've obviously gone from, when you were first here, it was yep. based in Melbourne. You are now expanding out to Hobart and Gold Coast, Auckland, et yep. cetera. Do we, are we looking to see more cities in the future or is this kind of the zone where you think you're going to work best at?
2: Yeah, so just and taking back a step in 2014 when we took on the management of the Skybus business, we recognised that there were a, a few key areas that we both wanted to defensively protect um, and, and effectively embolden um, as, as a business and we also, there were a bunch of areas we wanted to grow and expand upon so strategically. Um, and the key platforms for that were to understand that the business was traditionally a Melbourne business, going to one airport, around about 98% of its revenue was from one source. Um, clearly that pre- presents risk and um, whilst it's a, a good airport and a good business, there were things that we needed to do to redress that. So we looked to immediately embark upon um, understanding, first of all, what the market knew and felt about Skybus. Was there a sense of brand equity? Was there there passenger ownership of the brand? What were the things that we could introduce to improve the business fundamentally to then build upon that um, into other ports? Second thing we did was we went and consulted with the stakeholders and those stakeholders for us were airlines, airports, governments, and we literally just got on a plane and, and spent a, a great degree of time flying around and meeting with airports and understanding what were their concerns and what were the, the things that were stopping their growth. And what we discovered, um, which probably sounds obvious, but what we discovered is that a lot of these airports, be it Australia and also internationally as well, um, their, their great limitation to growth is, is congestion. Yes. And congestion in, 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 the, in the forecourt terminal uh, as they grow and they bring more airlines in, they have the same amount of space. They haven't grown their space proportionately, so they need to move more people faster out of that curb, obviously efficiently and safely, but mass transit and um, frequent transit um, were the key points to their success. Where rail was going to take a period of time to develop, and yep. we, we identified that there a bunch of airports where rail would be a, a, a good business case solution at a certain size, um, that we felt there was an opportunity for us to develop a highly frequent service that could release their congestion. And that's what we did. So we went from that one service at 98% in early 2015 to this year in 2018, that's just under 55% of our business. And we now have 15 services and five airports. And really what that's been about is not us turning up to an airport and saying, we're SkyBus, we want to develop a service. It was actually responding to their master plan, aligning ourselves with their master plan objectives and effectively saying to them that your Auckland Airport, we know that um, the greater proportion of people come from Australia, as in internationally, and we know that those Australians know and have confidence in our brand and we'd like to develop a business and a solution for you that, that helps you with the congestion. And, and, and that's how we sort of developed that business model. Um, we feel that there are quite a few other airports in Australasia at various sizes, and, and various sizes you know, can be anything from 500,000 packs a year to 25 million packs a year. Um, that, and even some airports that have rail, yeah. where a highly frequent service from the curb that moves people very quickly out of there um, um, can provide um, both the congestion release and also obviously a good customer experience and can enable that that airport to grow. Um, That being said, there are also airports internationally as well that we've identified.
1: So you've won numerous tourism and customer service awards. Are these you know, congratulations on those wonderful achievements. Mm. Are these awards what drive people every day or is there something else that emerges from your team that drives them?
2: Um, I, I certainly. The simple answer is no. The awards don't drive. The awards are an outcome. Um, I, I think that everybody has a different reason why they're at work, and 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 for us, we we get a real you know buzz out of the fact that we had um, we have a team that shares and there's ups and downs. We, you know, it is not all um plane sailing it's a it's a it's a challenging business for us because we uh, we have a competitive pressures like everybody and we are we're in airports which by their definition are, are, are challenging environments if anyone's been in an airport recently and so so that creates um that creates some challenges i think the things that the reasons why we as a team you know largely love our job and what we do is that we get instant gratification um, out of what we do and the product that we are delivering um, or the service and solution is, is instantly measured yeah. um, somebody gets off the bus and our team member says how was that trip and they could say you know it was bloody terrible or they could say actually it was great it is not something that we have to wait for a period to understand you know in a world of peer-to-peer um, Um, online ratings such as TripAdvisor and so forth we also get measured Um, we we made the decision to put TripAdvisor live on our website good and bad reviews Um, and to the team literally we have an email that comes out to every single member of our team every morning with every response we've received from customers um, the day before um, good and bad and it's shared amongst everybody and we must respond to all those customers and and so this is real sense of um, um, instant celebration, but also we also Adam and I have been very strong and being very transparent about challenges as well. Um, our management philosophy is that we're going to be um, transparent about everything, about what we are trying to do and achieve. The the negative of that sometimes is that they they're going to see and feel the things that are affecting us as a as a as a management team, but they're also going to celebrate the things that, are, that we win. And and I think that. Largely, um, you know, in in a growth story such as Skybus, um, largely people who are jumping on board, pardon the pun, um, you know, get to feel they're part of that journey. And in a very small way, when I'm working in Melbourne and I know that I could go on holidays in the Gold Coast and go on holidays to Hobart, I can say to my friends, I work for that company and look at their there and and whatever else. And so they're the things that sort of give us satisfaction.
1: Real nice shared responsibility of... Of the successes, but also mm. you know what we have to improve in certain areas on a day-to-day yeah. basis. Yeah, and we
2: see that. So we have a um, we've developed technology where, from a ticketing point of view, I know you know an hour ago how many people got on the bus in Melbourne and Avalon and wherever else. And so we we do a year-on-year comparison on an hourly basis as well. So so we know that on Sunday, yesterday, the day before compared to the Sunday last year that we improved or didn't improve. And suddenly there's this discussion internally as to why. Why did we have a bad day? And um, there are a whole bunch of macro reasons which can affect that, but there are a whole bunch of reasons that we're in control of too. Um, so that's, that's a really interesting phenomenon because as a business, um, we can sort of influence some of those factors and we can quickly get a result and, 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 and deliver an outcome.
3: But by the sounds of that, Mike, you're um, you're investing in technology or infrastructure to enable you to to read those situations quickly.
2: Yeah, we are. We have to when we're in a in a world where our competitor, one of our competitors, is you know one of the most disruptive technologies in the history, which is you know obviously rideshare, and that's bringing um, some really good solutions to passengers in terms of convenience and technology. Right, so. Mm. You know, If we're going to be an old-fashioned bus company that says we're a timetabled service and you've got to turn up at this time and wait for us, then um, we're out of business. So yeah, we, we very quickly, um, well, this is probably prior to Rideshare turning up, said, well, we actually don't want a timetable. <laughs> we, want to, we want to have a business that's turn up and go. That when Rideshare turns up with some really good technology with great maps and great planning, Our counterpoint to that is is we don't need that because the bus is just there. And we're gonna bring the frequency down that low. And Melbourne's a great example of that where we need to have a a really important um, value proposition that says that technology is important. We're investing in technology. We're making sure that you can interact with us on those platforms. But actually, um, one of the problems that we are really trying to solve is just to get you out of that airport. (laughs) And we're there. Um, So certainly investment technology has been really important. We've developed our own ticketing platform. We've developed our own e-kiosks as well. And so those things are very important to us because fundamentally what I want to do and need to do is to get our ticket in somebody's phone before they've got off the plane. Mm. And if I can do that, then I'm clearly um, both increasing my competitive advantage but also sort of installing some behavioral change as well.
1: So, partnerships are becoming extremely important in the growth and development of both businesses and, importantly, the community. Uh, what value does Skybus see in the partnerships that have been developed, and can you share one one of your major success stories so far?
2: Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's it's probably the most important thing. Um, we took on a business that, and I'm not in any way being derogatory, but the business culturally saw no value in partnerships because it saw it is giving away margin effectively. Um, Partnerships are fundamental to us because there are a lot of different organizations and businesses that um, we feel that we can both assist and they can assist us and we just see aligned value. And every conversation that we start, and some of those conversations don't always end up successful because there's a, a disagreement, but every conversation we start with everybody, be it government, airports, or airlines, or charities, or businesses, is alignment. And alignment has to be real alignment. It's not just about, um, you know, we're all going to sell more products together. There needs to be um, some, some you know, alignment in terms of principles, um, values, and all of those things. So for us, probably two different examples of partnerships that um, have worked really, really well. One would be, um, from a commercial point of view, we, we were the first transit business in Australia to introduce free Wi-Fi, which is a bit of a sad statement because I got free Wi-Fi in a taxi in Auckland um, before I took on Skybus. So so there's plenty of Wi-Fi out there in the world, but there was none on buses here. And we really struggled to find somebody to provide Wi-Fi on a bus, and um, which was just bizarre to me because the technology is actually quite simple. And through that journey, I guess, um, we landed with the company. Um, I take okay, I can mention them: um, and Vodafone. And we sat down with them, and, and they, they, I guess, had the same approach to us, which was they they were trying to build a brand equity in a market that had lost, um, well, we had, they had lost brand equity through some issues historically, and they wanted to be seen to be doing things for people that could um, could obviously improve improve their access to Wi-Fi. So, we we said to them, well, Two things for us is we need to make sure Wi-Fi is available and that we're not restricted by the cost, because the problem with Wi-Fi and a bus is the more people use, the more it's good. And actually, that's why it's never really been—it's really taken on in transit because of the potential cost blowout. And um, we ended up with a a wonderful alignment where, um, basically, as a result of us telling people that Wi-Fi is provided by Vodafone, uh, it's a complimentary service to us, and so great outcome for us. We can take off all the controls if you like, or you can have as much Wi-Fi as you want. And as long as you know that, by the way, this is as a result of our partner. Mm. Um, and so we proposed to them that we would just tell everybody inside the bus, outside the bus, on our website. And it's been a, an incredibly successful partnership that has no, I guess, financial aspect to it. Mm. Um, it's just a brand alignment.
1: It's interesting, I was coming from the airport on Friday Mm. And I saw one of your very shiny, clean buses. My, yes. I was quite impressed. But I think it had, you know, the, the alignment even with the slogan there was something like Vata, um, Skybus powered by Vodafone or yes. something similar to that, which yeah. I thought was very clever.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the other example for us was um, from a from a, a different point of view, I guess, from a social point of view, was um, a charity that was uh, an organisation that was very dear to my heart was um, White Ribbon and, um, and Breast Cancer Network. And both of those two um, obviously... Uh, there's a strong awareness, obviously, through through the, through the what they've done historically, all the wonderful work they've done. But we felt that there was an opportunity for us to use our, our high-profile asset, be it a double-decker, going up and down the freeway 400 times a day or whatever, and wrapping that, and actually, I guess, challenging people's perception of what these organizations did and why they did it, and using that asset and vehicles a way to engage with their brand but probably as or more importantly getting our team members to. so white ribbon as an example um we had a a, a large proportion of our workforce who actually didn't know what it stood for had no idea and so the process of us educating them about you know the importance of um of this organization in respect to combating violence against women and was 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 profound because we said to every single driver your choice we're going to tell you what they do and why they do it. And here's a texter, and if you, all you need to do, all this organisation asks you to do is to commit to um, stopping any signs of um, violence against women, and just sign the bus. And the drivers say, "What do you mean?" Here's a texter, sign the bus. I, um, you know, John Smith hereby pledge. And so it was fantastic. Um, wow. So we have a you know double decker going up down the highway that's. Got three or four hundred signatures on it, and from a, from, a, from a team point of view, clearly there's, there's a lot of discussion that goes on because not everybody wants to do that, and we, you need to be very careful about that, but, but I, I'm very, very confident that the awareness of that organization was elevated internally. Our, our, our team members and drivers then became ambassadors for the organization, and so when customers ask, well, why have you wrapped your bus black, and blah, 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 we, um, they could talk about it properly.
1: So let's delve into a little bit of what makes you tick. You've given us a few signs around your leadership style and the way that you work with your, uh, your co-CEO. What else would define the
2: way you lead? Um, that's probably for somebody else to judge, but for me, Adam and I have been described as a, uh, as a tornado because when we come into the office, we're a bit of a tornado. Um, I, I mentioned earlier uh, transparency, um, energy, and, and what I mean by that is, is that I feel, and perhaps it's a bit old-fashioned, but I feel that the role of of leaders is is you know to practically lead, not just theoretically. And and for me, that's in a business that's in a growth path, as we are. That's that's about energy and purpose. And we feel that it's to, it, when you start on this journey of growth. One of the mistakes, as I touched on earlier, that we made is we just assumed that everybody would see the benefits of growth. Um, The reality is that for a lot of people, I just want to go to work and get paid and go home. And you're actually causing complexity, Michael, to my life by growing. Because I've suddenly got more jobs to do and more routes to run and I've got to go to Avalon now. I used to go to Melbourne Airport and what's this thing in Auckland? And so, so as a leader, um, one of the things that we acknowledged that we made a mistake on was to actually explain to people transparently what the challenges were that we were we could see in the horizon. We, you know, there are there are always headwinds in every business. We want to tell you what they are, and we want to tell you what our plan is. Um, we shared our strap plan with our team, and this is, you know, we went from 140 staff to 600, and so disseminating that through the group was challenging but as a leader um, in every aspect be it you're at the depot at the curb adams on the bus or in head office um, every single day you're talking to people about why we're doing things why we're growing yes let's celebrate the fact that we're in gold coast but this is why we're in the gold coast Um, and this is why we're expanding that story i said before from 98 percent reliance on one airport to we want to be under 50 within a year the reason we're doing that is there will be a rail built one day and and let's take a strat- let's take a position on rail that says well we don't think we should this should be a binary conversation about skybus or rail it should be skybus and rail will solve the future problems of melbourne airport and so all of those things as a leader for me as, as co ceo are about bringing a very clear distinct um, vision, but also every day having to bring that energy to the table because um, in a growth story in particular, um, people do get a little bit fatigued. And so, um, you know, I guess it's my, our responsibility to make sure that we continue to bring that energy.
3: Yeah. But Michael, you, you talk about bringing that energy to the table every day. What do you do to bring your A-game into work and, and lead and energize and, and actively... Be part of your organisation. How do you do it?
2: Um, I guess a bunch of things I do. I think the fundamental thing I do is I I know when to turn off, and I'm very deliberate about that. I I'm very very good at turning off um, work and you know grabbing a book, and I, I make it an absolute you know dogma for me. I've got to read one book a week, and um, you know I'm one of these people that reads three or four newspapers a day, and you know online and whatever else. I start every day riding a bike. Um, do it early at 5:30 and whatever else and uh, I, that's my form of meditation and um, you know it's a physical activity it's a, it's a physical activity
3: armor put it to us that it was uh, an active meditation type thing riding a bike and that sort of exercise
2: well I think I think those two words together are uh, succinctly just described it. active meditation um, I I think also as a way of just talking about things that are work with a bunch of people um, and yes, active meditation, really, a swear by it. Um, and, and clearly, you know, having, having those interests outside of work and, um, and sharing and doing a whole bunch of things, be it community sports and family stuff, that is really, really important. I'm very, very lucky and blessed to have, you know, a family that um, has a whole bunch of interests which have nothing to do with my work and, <laughs> and um, you know, um, I'm a- actively part of as well.
1: So we all we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time?
2: Oh, when was the last time I did something for the first time? Um I'd probably say that um in this well, in, in the last twelve months I've done three or four things for the first time. I've um from a professional point of view, I've I've I've, I've Completed, um, I completed a whole bunch of professional tasks in terms of participating and uh, presenting and speaking, um, um, sitting on a board for the first time. Um, that's from a professional point of view. From a personal point of view, you got me there. <laughs> Every for, for me, for me, it's it's not a matter of repetition, but it's. Uh, there's still so many things that I would do and you know tomorrow morning i'm I'm leading a panel discussion on tourism future in Australia and I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> um, and no idea but I'm so so sure that I'll come out of the end of that um, and be really excited and this I mean for me the mo- the last four years have been um, you know, Tremendous for me because I was in a business where, for twenty years, I was doing the same thing, and I was I was an advisor to people, and I was creating solutions for people. Uh, I would probably say that every day for the last four years, I've done something new because, um, you know, simply scanning a ticket at a curb, is was new to me. <laughs> um, loading a bus was new, um, and all of those things. And uh, I'm designing an app at the moment for SkyBus and. That's really scary if you've got me designing an app. So um, <laughs> we, we have—I I, have—I um, have a New Zealand, the New Zealand government wanting us to design a solution for their one of their, their 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 growing suburbs, and they've asked me to author a document for them. I have no idea what I'm going to write. So yeah, I'm very big. Adam and I am, are very very big on just say yes and and work out how to do it later, and that's. Pretty much what we've been doing for a while
1: i love it <laughs> so what is the place you've enjoyed exploring the most how did you explore it explore it and why does it resonate with you
2: as in the physical place or geography yes. um well i think um what's been really illuminating for me is is new zealand um as a as a geographical country because i'd always assumed it was so similar to australia and it's not <laughs> certainly not even the accent's a little different <laughs> no but in every way it's not you know I, I i went into new zealand thinking i do not want to in any way come across as the australian here but we're running a bus in melbourne we've been doing it for 40 years how hard can this be <laughs> this is a smaller airport and and yeah it's been really interesting i've just loved it because um, the, the, both just from, a, from a, a regulation point of view the government, the, the council and whatever else but putting all that aside um, I found it really challenging to, to apply the, the, the learnings from Australia and having to, to pivot and mould so often in New Zealand it, it's just such an incredibly dynamic market because if you think about it it's, everything that New Zealand happens in New Zealand is really done for the rest of the world because their, their domestic market is so small and what they're so good at is developing solutions that are applied internationally. Mm. And so I've, all of our IT, our app design, all of these people, they've all come from New Zealand. And I've met them all as a result of this journey that if you asked me four years ago, who's gonna design your app? I'm not, it's not gonna be a person in Auckland, but I've learned and met wonderful people. I love the place. I just, I, I love it. Um, And and this has been what's been great about the Skybus journey because, you know, places like that have then led me to Hobart. You know, if I had a choice, I'd probably go live in Hobart tomorrow after spending the last six months there building a service. And just love the the fact that um, they've really embraced someone coming there and wanting to find a way to improve the the tourism experience. Um, Every aspect of every person we've dealt with there has been wonderful and welcoming. Um, and, and again, I, I, I had a very, real ignorant perception of, of Hobart. Um, it's an incredibly dynamic place that's growing ridiculously, and and is is looking to have as many as many people bringing world class solutions to it as possible.
1: And last question: uh, Who has made the greatest impact on your career, and why?
2: Um, my career, um, I will say. My wife, first of all, because she's provided enormous support everything I've done, naively or ridiculously, she's believed in, in everything that I've done, which has been wonderful for me. Um, the, the person who every day affects me is my co-CEO, he, Adam. He, he's, he has been amazing to me because um, if, if you could wish for somebody who every time you come up with a crazy idea, you say, this is a crazy idea, and they say, yes, it is. Give me another one and that sense of just challenge of having to take your you know your better the best to to whatever uh, happens literally every time i speak to him and sometimes that's a, a really um difficult conversation because i can get affronted but then the next day i think hang on i'm so lucky to have somebody can actually tell me right away that was a good idea that was a bad idea or why don't we do this um together and um yeah so he i, I been in business with him for 20 years, and and um, I'm very, very lucky to say that he's a really good friend.
1: That's wonderful. And, and Michael, thank you very much for this wonderful interview and conversation today. i um, I'm actually just got thoughts in my head. It'd be great one day to get both yourself and Adam in the same room and talk about this co-CEO and how that works, because not too many companies around the world would have something like that, and I'm sure there could be some great learnings, um, yeah. that, that ability to work in a partnership, that, that great relationship you have, where you're able to test each other, I think is so, so important and having the ability to have that debate and that creates more curiosity and development in the future. Um, Your whole approach around the customer and their experience, Mm. I mean, not many people would ever consider a bus company is so focused on first impressions last and about tourism, etc. as well. So really congratulate for what you're doing there. And it sounds like you've got a wonderful balance in the way that you are able to go, here's my work life, here's my home life, here is how I support other people that need need help yep. and secure that. So I tip my hat off to you, my, my bus <laughs> driver's hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And say, uh, thank you very much for, for a wonderful interview today. No,
2: thank you, thanks so much.
3: Today's active CEO wellness tip is about giving it a rest. or really talking about that concept of sleep. And I know everybody probably knows they need more sleep, but gee, it's a hard thing to, get to do. Yeah. How often do you get, you have a day where you,
1: for whatever reason, you sleep 10 hours and you wake up and go, oh my God, I feel amazing. Mm. And people just get so used to that sleep and going, oh, you know what? Oh, I'll stay up another half hour. But that will slow those incremental... You know, sleep deficits will catch up over time. And then we start having issues around stress management. We get more irritable. Uh, we start to become less productive. And, you know, and our physical health gets affected as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And certainly that notion too of, of um, you do drift off to sleep, but it might be 2 or 3 a.m. you're waking up and just thinking about the day's problems. And that's a real, um, I, I sort of see that as a habit that forms. So you stress during the day and then you'll continually do that just adds to the poor overall sleep quality. So I think it's really important that you try and sort some of the day's problems out with a little bit of meditation, a little bit of note taking, whatever it happens to be before you go to bed with the notion that you have that you need to sleep all the way through. Yes, yeah, so you want to make
1: sure you get closure on the day and before you go into that sleep because we know that if you're getting less than 6 hours sleep, you know, we generally see raised cortisol levels, fix our insulin metabolism, and even blood sugar control, which then can lead to issues of weight gain. Uh, for some people, it may lead to issues of weight loss. And then we also have the diabetes that comes into play. And, and we know that you know things like type two diabetes are preventable through good health, good exercise, um, good nutrition habits. So you know
3: we've really got to make sure we get that eight or more hours sleep a night. Yeah, and I think there's some really simple things to, to help alleviate this problem. So it's prioritizing the time that you go to bed, and having just a good uh, habit leading into that time to going to bed. So reducing caffeine, probably reducing the, the light, the computer time, phone time, those sorts of things. We've all heard it, but who actually practices it? That's what
1: you wanna do. Yeah, extremely important. You know, We wanna make sure that when we wake up the next day, we're, we've got the mood, we're, we're performing well, we've got the energy levels that we need to have great conversations with our colleagues and make sure that as a leader, that we're delivering a high-performing environment and if we're tired if we are struggling then that's going to flow through the rest of the organization
3: absolutely and i know on our active ceo podcasts we always ask people what do they do to bring their a game to work each day and i certainly know for me if it's disrupted or short sleep or, or out of my normal sleep patterns it's really difficult to bring my best to the office and so it's really infecting then so that's one of my tips, make sure that sleep is sorted out. Yeah, you've got that sleep and
1: you've got the number one focus
3: you can for each
1: day and for the people that you're with so that you're, whatever you're dealing with, whether it be a project or a, a relationship, can really thrive. Oh, Ben, you know, it's, it's not often we get to sit on a bus and be taken on a ride and it was a fantastic discussion today and, and great chat with Michael
3: Seawoods from Skybus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Michael said during the interview that he'd been told numerous at times that buses weren't that exciting, but talking to him and learning about the industry and some of his leadership styles, certainly I was excited. I'll, I'll be happily riding a, a sky bus next time. Yeah, I always enjoy that trip from the airport in Melbourne through to the city, and
1: they do a great job. Their customer service is top-notch, and they really think about those little extra
3: things that make your first experience of going into a city really enjoyable. Yeah, and how about that notion that um, both himself and Adam, who's his co-CEO, which we'll speak about in a sec, um, actually get out there at the coal face? So Michael was clipping the tickets, so to speak, and Adam was actually driving the bus. Still to today, you know, Adam sent him a text yesterday when we spoke to him, and was talking about um, you know the air conditioning on bus one one two or something was too cold. Let's get it fixed up. Yeah, and that's you know that's that's really crucial. I think you've got to understand what's happening at the coalface.
1: And too often as leaders, you know, we sit back, we're, we're talking strategy, we're talking about high-level governance, we're talking about managing people, but if we don't understand what their real pain points are, if we don't feel it, if we don't get a chance to get down there, get get our hands dirty, so to speak, and get involved, how can we really make uh, create solutions or make decisions to help that environment be a lot better so that
3: our consumers can really enjoy the experience? Well, it's hard to... To have empathy with your customer, if you're not sort of living the journey too. So these guys clearly do that. It's, it's amazing, amazing story for them.
1: Yeah, and look,
3: having a co CEO, I mean, how mm. that's
1: very rare. And hopefully, we get a chance in the future to go back and interview both Michael and Adam together, and and let's and really delve into what it's like to have co CEOs. Who, how do you delineate? the responsibilities and and who makes the final decisions on certain areas of the organization and it sounds like you know michael has a little bit better understanding of how the things go from a ticketing point of view and the experience before they get on the bus whereas adam is a driver mm. so he gets to you know he's sitting in the captain's seat he gets to feel here see what's going on and um you know
3: really just just an amazing setup yeah, it's great also to um just thinking uh, with the discussion with Michael about how he reads a book a week. So he's obviously a busy man, but just still makes that time for himself to not only learn, but also just shut down the mind, so to speak. Yeah, he, he was very clear on that. Mm. You know, I have the ability
1: to go from one activity to the next and be able to switch off from work and go, you know, this is my other life and I need to make sure that both physically and mentally. I'm ready to go each day so I can perform for my team in what is a, is a highly stressful environment. Yeah. Uh, you think about, you've got weather changes, you've got traffic, you've got um, customers that aren't always relaxed, you know, they're rushing to get to the airport or they've had a stressful time on the plane um, and they wanna get home to their
3: family or they're there to come and relax. So, And you know, we've all felt that before too. Like everybody that travels you get on the bus you're like come on come on hurry up or you know someone's stressing about putting luggage on and it is a, a stress point right there and for these guys to actually recognize that and to try and do something it's it's full credit yeah i kind of you know you always find if, if you
1: want something done you obviously go to a busy person is, is, is a common analogy yeah. uh, but you look at him and he's able to he looks very relaxed. He is able to clearly delineate between his different roles he has in community and work. and oh, he gives work,
3: back, yeah, doesn't he?
1: Giving back to so mm-hmm. many things, you know, the hunger ride, which looks after uh, young children that don't have any food or breast cancer or white ribbon. Uh, oh, the
3: white ribbon, that was an amazing story too. Signing the bus. Yeah, a bit of lateral thinking there, but just a work to treat. Doesn't it
1: Doesn't it make a big difference when you get buy-in from everyone that's involved in, in your company when you're dealing with a partnership or a... Mm-hmm. Uh, a Community uh, engagement aspect like that. So, uh, a, a wonderful interview, really, really enjoyed it. Um, that's Active CEO for this week, where the ordinary don't belong.
0: Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. number two, perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform leave a review on iTunes, drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.